This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Just days ago, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued guidance for immediate implementation to address the urgent and immediate need for blood and blood components during the coronavirus pandemic. And one of the revised recommendations it issued pertained to reducing the risk of HIV transmission by blood and blood products. What was the FDA's recommendation? Here's what it said in a press release. For male donors who would have been deferred for having sex with another man, the agency is changing changing the recommended deferral period from 12 months to three months. And this applies unless you are HIV positive. And yet, as even the Australian Red Cross reports, research from the Kirby Institute shows that new HIV cases remain at concerningly high levels and that men who have sex with men continue to be the population in which the majority of new infections occur. What's more, blood testing can fail to detect infection for other diseases if they are still in the early stages. So is this really about a coronavirus necessity or is it LGBT activism that's playing a part in this FDA decision. We're going to get some thoughts on this and more related stories in the news now from Peter LaBarber, president of Americans for Truth about homosexuality. Peter, great to have you back. How are you? Thank you, Janet. Great to be here. Fill us in on the background to this FDA decision. Going from 12 months to three months seems like a pretty major move. Well, Janet, uh, this is to me, um, this is never let a crisis go to waste. Gay Republican version. That's what we're seeing here. The log cabin Republicans touted this in an email. I don't think anybody heard of it until they started bragging about it. And let's remember that uh, comes shortly after the blood ban. Uh, the, there, there was pretty much a de facto blood ban on homosexual men and other high-risk groups like, um, like intravenous drug users and prostitutes giving blood. Before Obama, they, the, the, the male, men who had sex with men category, which homosexual men, had to wait, I think it was 26 or 27 years hmm. if, if they had engaged in that act before they could give blood. Under Obama, it was drastically reduced to one year, and it's pretty much been reduced to one year in several other countries, such as Australia. Um, now, just two years later, or just a few years later, they're taking it down to three months using this crisis of the coronavirus. And what strikes me as weird about it is, first of all, there's been no formal review. Um, there's no chance for the public to have input. They, they jumped this opportunity, and um, here in a time when we're asking people not even to leave their homes to have such care, you know, extra care so that people don't get infected with coronavirus, we're, we're taking a sort of a, a more risky stance with our blood supply. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, there's a lot that you just said. For one thing, when you're talking about the FDA waiving the standard public comment period and issuing the new guidance, and I know this would be under the, oh, we had to do it quickly because of the pandemic, but that's just, that's sleazy. You, I mean, you didn't need to wait, you know, and, and immediately rush ahead on this without allowing people to weigh in with public comments. I guess they might have been afraid about who would comment. But isn't it the case, Peter, I was reading some of the 
the material. And isn't it the case that one of the problems is you might have other diseases that would take time to detect if they were to test your blood? So can you speak to the risk here? Because one of the things the LGBT activists talk about a lot, and I know the head of the Human Rights Campaign wrote a, a, a piece in The Hill about how discriminatory this is, that we've had to wait so long, all this stuff. But they say testing has improved. There's no risk. You don't have to worry about, you know, tainting the blood supply. What is the truth on that from what you've researched? Well, first of all, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a a medical researcher. However, um, I can read. And uh, the risk is exactly what you said for for uh, viruses like uh, for hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HIV. The infection is not detectable immediately. And let's remember that not just the, the, the liberal homosexual activist groups like the Human Rights Campaign, but also the log cabin Republicans are all advocating that the deferral for men who have sex with men donating blood goes down to zero time. Wow. Janet, they, they all treat this as if it's only a quote-unquote civil rights issue. It's like they don't care. They're, they're so selfish about their agenda that they don't care about being careful with the blood for, for the rest of the country and taking extra precautions. And that's what it's all about. And if I could just read to you, Janet, from the Amer- the Australian Red Cross, uh, seems to have a little bit more sensibility in the way they talk about this. Um, they have a fact sheet out in which they say that um, even men, quote, even men in a declared exclusive gay relationship have on average a 50 times greater risk of HIV infection compared to heterosexual Australians with a new sexual partner. Wow. Let's think about that. Wow. Uh, a, an established, a so-called gay relationship, 50 times higher than a, a straight person in a new relationship. Goodness. Well, here's the thing. I I was reading a CNN piece on this, and this is what it said. The Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, said in this briefing following the release of these new FDA guidelines that HIV positive people still are barred from giving blood. But those who are taking PrEP, the pre-exposure prophylaxis to prevent HIV infection, can still donate blood if they're not using it to treat HIV infection. But that seems to me to be very bizarre because if you can't detect HIV in the blood in the early stages, then what assurance do you have that people taking PrEP or it gets all muddled, but it's like, how safe really is this? Okay, what's really strange about what you just told me, and I had not read that, Janet, is that homosexual men take PrEP to, to stop getting, to not get HIV. Yeah, right. That's how it's got famous. This is a Gilead drug uh, produced by the company Gilead. It's, it goes by the name Truvada. And what we're finding, and, I'm, and I've been monitoring homosexual activists for years and years, is they're taking this drug called PrEP, which is, it keeps them from getting HIV, not every time, but 99% of the time. They take it, and then a lot of the, the more reckless gay sexual behaviors go on because they're taking this drug PrEP. So you even have more conservative homosexual activists criticizing those who would take PrEP, this this uh, drug regimen, to not get HIV, and then engage in the same high-risk behaviors, which we can't even talk about on the air no. because they're so dangerous. Uh, and they're, they're also very, uh, they're disturbing, they're unnatural. They engage in those behaviors because they're taking PrEP. So, you know, the, the problem the bottom line for all of this is that the reason that this this uh, dr- blood ban was in place in the first place for homosexual men is that they engage in high risk sexual behavior as a class of people. 
the acts that they engage in are high risk. That's why there was a ban in the first place. The problem is homosexual activists treat this as if it's just about gay rights, and they yeah. don't care. They want everything treated, quote, equally, and they don't. They care more about that than they care about the, the American blood supply. Well, here's a question I have. If you have people who are taking PrEP to prevent HIV infection, but they are not using it to treat HIV infection, as you said, then that would allow them to continue to engage in risky behavior, but why would you be taking PrEP at all if you were free of the risky behavior? In other words, what I'm saying is they're saying you have to have stopped the risky behavior for three months, but why would you still be on PrEP if you had stopped the risky behavior? It doesn't go together. Well, I think they're taking PrEP just so they won't get HIV, but what we, what I have seen, and I can't talk about it in the show because it's too appalling, yeah. is there are webs, there are, there are you know, these sex parties, orgies, et cetera, in which they advertise PrEP. And so, you know, it, it, the problem is, is that they can engage in the same behaviors and PrEP doesn't stop all sexually transmitted diseases. And, you know, Janet, I, I picked up, I went to the CDC and just looked up one sexually transmitted disease called Shigella. And it is specifically mentions why homosexual men are at risk because of the practices they engage in, which expose them to, to very unhealthy things. And so it's the same. If you look up any sexually transmitted disease, virtually syphilis, gonorrhea, um, the, they are all tied to, quote, men who have sex with men, which is the, the category under the CDC for gay men and bisexual men. They all are at higher risk for those, those sexually transmitted diseases. And so it's this whole, uh, you know, miasma of, 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 of these diseases linked to unnatural sexual behaviors, which is why they were set apart as a class in the first place when it comes to giving blood, just like the IV, the, the IV drug users and prostitutes and tattoos, all of these things. And, and now the, the time limit has been reduced to three months for all of them now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it is very disturbing and people need to know about it. We're going to take a very quick break. Peter LaBarbera is with us, president of Americans for Truth about homosexuality. There's more to talk about. and We'll do it when we come back. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. If you could ease the suffering of a persecuted Christian right now, would you? Hi, it's Janet Mefford, and I know you would. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those who are persecuted, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere suffers, we suffer together. These believers live where evangelism is criminalized, where churches are burned, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's Word, and your gift today lets them know they're not forgotten. For only $5, a believer like Anna in Africa will receive a Bible, be discipled in her new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And through the end of April, there's a Bible for Bible match that will help us send God's word to as many persecuted Christians as possible. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, call now, 800-YES-WORD. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us and glad to have Peter LaBarber, president of Americans for Truth about homosexuality. You may or may not have known about what the FDA did in recent days. They issued guidance for immediate implementation to address the need for more blood and blood components during the coronavirus pandemic. And they have decided for male donors who would have been deferred for having sex with other men. They're now changing the recommended deferral period from 12 months to three months. And so they've really reduce the time factor for homosexual men to be able to donate blood. And as you've said, Peter, they like to turn everything into an equality issue, despite the fact that this is just flat out a medical issue. But what what happens if you do have someone give blood and it turns out that the blood was tainted? Could they even track that or figure out how much of the supply is tainted? The implications well, are the very history of gay activism, Janet. Disturbing. Way back to, yep. way back to the 70s. That's the history. Uh, when when AIDS was just coming on the scene, and it was horrific, of course, and th- this was a, a plague almost against uh, homosexual men that were the most high-risk group, and uh, there were still attempts to, to donate blood at that time, and there was a you know there was a whole uh, issue with that, especially out in San Francisco, and so we've seen it before. You have had innocent people, in the sense that they did not engage in any high-risk behaviors, who were tainted. Who were who, who cont- uh, got HIV through the blood supply, and so what we're saying is let's be careful here. Why why are they rushing into this? And there hasn't even been the formal review of the previous, uh, you know, a, a, a thorough thorough FDA review of the previous change to twelve months from the longstanding uh, deferral before. Doesn't it strike you that again and again and again, we continue to see LGBT activists able to achieve their political agenda over and against sound wisdom and reason? I mean, what was going through my head when you were saying all that is, you know, you look at the history of how the APA did its 1973 uh, backtrack on homosexuality, and now we see how they've gone through their whole thing on, oh, transgenderism. And it's all political. So many times it's been political because of political activist pressure against people. It's not in the interest of good health necessarily. It's it's all they don't they don't want to get in trouble. So they change the rules or they change the designations. Now you've got this. Absolutely. It's, they're very political and they're good at politics. They know how to get penetrate institutions and intimidate people. Yep. And that's what they're doing. And now if you look at the rhetoric, it's shocking, actually. I haven't looked at it in a while on this particular issue. When you look at what the gay activist, uh, uh, gay activist movement is saying, Janet, it's all 
only it's all about equality. It's like there's not a serious discussion of why this ban was put in the first place, why it was sustained, the high-risk practices of homosexual activists. And I should also say, Janet, that the CDC, as we're all, you know, talking about this coronavirus, the CDC itself has engaged in a lot of political rhetoric surrounding HIV. They talk about as if stigma is one of the main reasons, you know, the main problems with, with HIV is if the stigma against homosexual men well, that's that's what is so disturbing about the whole thing. And, you know, when you're talking about harassment, I want to kind of segue into a couple of other big stories over the last week. Franklin Graham from Samaritan's Purse, as everybody knows, has set up this field hospital in New York to help with the overflow of COVID-19 patients. He came out and accused elected officials and other people in New York of harassment because they have been criticizing his group. And all they're trying to do is help people. They are funding the themselves. They put up these emergency field hospitals in Central Park. And, um, you know, all they're trying to do is to be a blessing to people and to be there in Christian love and service. All Franklin Graham has dealt with has been harassment over his views on homosexuality. And I just find that so repugnant, Peter. You would think regardless of whether or not you agree with a Christian on the issue of homosexuality, you would be grateful that somebody would show up on their own dime and help out in a time of crisis. What do you make of this? I I totally agree with you. I I think this reveals the depths of anti-Christian bigotry among so many on the left and especially the LGBTQ left. Uh, they they hate Christians uh, because Christians follow God's law. We're, you know, we're against homosexuality. We say it's a sin. We know that people have left homosexuality behind. People like our friend Stephen Black and Charlene Cothran, these, these wonderful stories of people being delivered out of homosexuality. God has, has delivered them. And they, they resent that message so much that they, they would rather um, trash Franklin Graham than thank him for helping to bring relief and, and, and end suffering of this awful crisis in New York City. It's just appalling. Well, it's appalling. And now, people might know this from the New York Times story, you had four Democratic members of New York's congressional delegation sending a letter to the president of Mount Sinai Health System, which is the hospital that they're working with, Mayor Bill de Blasio and Governor Cuomo, asking how the Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital would operate. And the lawmakers asked how the group came to be involved in the virus response in New York. They wrote, now more than ever, New York City must uphold its values and ensure that every New Yorker feels safe in seeking medical attention. Yeah, because Franklin Graham's going to beat you with a baseball bat when you walk through. Are you kidding me? So he responded, Franklin Graham responded by saying that requests like that had the effect of diverting precious resources of time and energy and personnel away from serving COVID-19 patients at a time when the death toll in New York continues to climb. Basically what he's saying is it's a distraction. You guys are making this big issue over nothing. They're not refusing to treat homosexual patients if they come down with coronavirus. It's not even an issue. They just hate him. They hate Christians. Right. And especially they hate somebody like Franklin Graham who hasn't budged on the truth. We've seen so many Christians who who do, who cave. And he's not caving. And that's why I think they hate him all the more. Yes, right. It doesn't work with him. He just continues in his very I calm mean, he's way. He's not like Chick-fil-A. Is that a better way to say it? <laughs> <laughs> he's not like Chick-fil-A. Franklin Graham has stood with the truth. Chick-fil-A cake. There you go. Another person who has not caved, somebody I admire very much, and I know you do too, Peter, is Jack Phillips. And there is an update on Jack Phillips. He's the Colorado baker who went to the Supreme Court because he was saying, no, I'm not going to make a wedding cake for two men. And he won that 
that case, but it was a very narrow decision. And now he's in court. There was a recent uh, court appearance and some arguments that took place, I think, in district court over having to make a transgender cake. Now, all they're doing at this point, Peter, is just harassing this guy, absolutely harassing him. And this tell us a little bit. What do you know about this transgender activist by the name of Autumn Scardina? Uh, This is a person who wanted Jack Phillips to make, according to National Review, an image of Satan smoking marijuana and some worse things. Why in the world should Jack Phillips have to make something like that? Yeah, this is incredible. I mean, the poor guy, um, although God is using him, right? Yes. I mean, God is using him to defend freedom and religious liberty in this nation. And I guess I, I'm, I feel a little guilty that I haven't prayed for Jack Phillips more because it's incredible. But this Autumn Scardina is his name. Uh, he comes out of a law firm in Denver with his brother. Uh, it's, it's a pretend woman. It's a man, but he's calling himself Autumn. This is the second trans activist I've heard of using the name Autumn. So I don't know what it is about that with transsexuals. <laughs> I don't know. But it's just a direct harassment. In fact, even when he first tried to harass Jack, Jack Phillips won his case uh, in the Supreme Court. And then uh, he brought this guy brought uh, another case involving trans these these ridiculous cakes that he wants Jack Phillips to make. And I think he was turned down by that, by the Colorado agency that first, you know, took the first case against uh, Jack Phillips. And so he went and he sued on his own in a separate lawsuit. Yep. That's how much this guy hates Jack Phillips. And I just hope that this all all backfires and this is a satanic overreach on his part. Well, the governor, Jared Polis, from if I'm getting this correct, and I'm not going to go to the mat on this, but if I'm remembering this correctly, he had to withdraw a lawsuit against Jack Phillips in the wake of the Supreme Court decision, but had not... If I'm remembering it right, there was some support that was given in the political field. And I can't remember if it was Polis in particular or the Colorado commissioners who who got, you know, slammed by the Supreme Court. They were supportive of this transgender activist personally filing a lawsuit against Jack Phillips. But it's so stupid. What is a transgender cake? I mean, at least there is such a thing as a wedding cake. You can make a little bit more of an argument, even though there was no gay marriage in Colorado at the time that this original couple sued him. There's such a thing as a wedding cake. There's no such thing as a transgender cake that's completely made up. Right. And this is lawfare, which is warfare by legal means. It is. That's what he's doing. And they want to put Jack Phillips out of business. But I'm hoping with the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, and the support that he's getting that this is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court and this is going to, or maybe not, I don't know, but, but that it's going to be turned back. And I think it's probably support has gained for Jack Phillips And that's the good that can come out of this evil, I suppose. I suppose. And it was the case when I saw Jack and his attorney from ADF on Fox not too long ago that they talked about this. And they indicated that there was actually email harassment that went on from this plaintiff uh, to Jack Phillips. So, I mean, it's obvious that it's targeted. What is your overall sense of where we are right now, Peter? When you look at the Franklin Graham story, when you look at what's going on with Jack Phillips, how do you see Christians positioned right now to stand firm against this kind of harassment? It almost seems to me, and maybe I'm being a little too optimistic, but it seems as if Christians are getting even more backbone these days. I'm, I'm glad to see this. I think this is a good witness for the rest of the church. Stand firm. I, yes, I, I think I agree with you. I think there's a, a bounce back coming. And I think um, with now with Joe Biden taking uh uh, joining uh, with an extremely radical, uh, you know, Equality Act he's supporting, 
and the the, the radical homosexual agenda, and uh, and other Democrats as well. We'll see, uh, because I think where I see that the problem, Janet, is that on a public policy level, at the federal level especially, it doesn't seem like the backbone is quite re- resuscitated yes, yet. Yes. I think we're seeing people saying, hey, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. This is just bullying. This is harassment of Christians. And, and they're starting to see that the LGBTQ movement, and Q stands for queer, that's their word, that they are in the vanguard of the assault against people of faith, yep. especially Christians. Absolutely. Christians have been in the forefront. Yep, you're right. Well, Peter LaBarbera, AmericansForTruth.com, his website. Thanks a lot, Peter, as always. We'll be back right after this on Janet Meffer Today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. The word of the Lord endures forever, and it is so good to see those who really want a copy of God's word in their own language, getting them thanks to you. Thank you guys so much. We have been engaged in this terrific campaign on behalf of Bible League to get Bibles into the hands of the persecuted church. This is a very difficult time via the coronavirus pandemic, not just for us as Americans, but also around the world. And I have shared with you some of this news that in these 25 worst persecution countries, it can be really, really dicey for Christians, especially now. And you guys have really stepped up. We've been so excited to be able to just move past our goal And we just encourage you to continue to keep on giving as we bring the campaign to a close pretty soon. $5 is all it takes to send a Bible to a persecuted Christian in his or her own language. And for a $35 gift, you can send seven Bibles right now, or a $100 gift will send 20 Bibles. There is a Bible for Bible match through the end of the month, so you'll be giving two Bibles if you donate for one Bible and vice versa. It goes on for, we extrapolate that out, $35 gift. You'll send seven Bibles. You'll really be sending 14. So we are very encouraged by your faithfulness and your generosity, especially at a time like this. But if you'd like to get in and help our Bible League campaign right now, that would be a wonderful encouragement for us and especially for these believers. The number to call is 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. We're going to spend a few minutes now catching up with Michael Woolworth, who is Senior Director of Broadcast Media at Bible League International, and find out what the latest is. Thank you so much, Michael, for being here. Hope you are well. Janet, I'm uh, doing well. Uh, I'm getting a taste of what it's like uh, to homeschool. My wife and I homeschool our, our youngest. And I'm, of course, like many of your listeners, you know, at home, working at home. I'm in the next room. I can hear my, my daughter, who's about 15, grumbling. My wife says, wait a minute, young lady, stop right there and pray about a better attitude about algebra. So, no, she's, uh, now she can say, wait until your father comes into the next room. <laughs> exactly. It's not quite the same. Well, it's great as to be with you, uh, Janet. I know uh, you and your family are sheltering in place. And, hey, your listeners are not merely sheltering in uh, place, but they're sheltering in grace. And they have responded so generously. 
and we're so thankful for that. You know, it could go either way, right? It's tempting in the midst of this pandemic, and it is very serious, to be tight-fisted, and yet your listeners have responded. Can I give you an update on where we are? We'd love to hear it, yes. Okay, well, here, here's the update. We, you know, Weeks ago, in fact, months ago, we decided as two ministries, can we get together and do something on behalf of the persecuted church? We knew we couldn't solve this for every Bibleist persecuted believer in uh, places like Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. But we said, can we do it for at least 1,200 uh, believers? And let me tell you where we're at right now. We're at 2,500 Bibles. That means that 2,500 persecuted believers, many of those that I've talked about in the few weeks that we've spent together, will now have a Bible. Because of the Bible for Bible match, uh, we'll double that when we finish up here in the coming uh, week or so. And then uh, I want to talk about a couple of numbers that will have some bearing uh, on uh, the numbers that I've just mentioned. But, Janet, you've got wonderful listeners. Yes. Um, you know this. I know this. And we they've do. certainly, again, sheltered in grace, and we're grateful to be uh, at this point. Wow, 5,000 Bibles. That is awesome. You know, Michael, can you speak a little bit for those listeners who might not have heard you before? Talk a little bit about why these Bibles are so needed right now and, what, and the work that Bible League does with these persecuted Christians. Yeah, let me mention a couple of numbers uh, as it relates to the work of Bible League, now in our 82nd year of ministry. And those two numbers are 1 and 12. What does 1 mean? Well, there are parts of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America where we serve, where as few as one Christian in 10 has a Bible. What's that mean? It means that most believers will begin their spiritual walk with Christ without uh, any access to God's Word. Uh, And so one might easily (laughs) respond to Psalm 119, how do you hide God's Word in your heart if you've never even held it in your hands? And so that's a valid number one. And then the other number we like to talk about is 12. What is that? It's a multiplier. We have noticed after eight decades in ministry that all over the world, uh, there's this multiplier of 12. When somebody finally gets a Bible, something they may have prayed a year for, they've earned it as they've professed faith in Christ and come through uh, our project, Philip Bible Study. But what it means is that uh, 12 people are impacted. When somebody gets a Bible, and uh, they impact people in their families, their villages, their communities. In fact, we've shared stories over the last few weeks of people new to the faith that have gotten a Bible and have been able to see 100, 200. We've talked about uh, the story from China where a 1,000 people over the last year have come to the Christ and it's all the result of one Bible. And so those are two numbers we talk about as we think about the persecuted church and getting them exactly what they're asking for, Janet, and that's God's Word. Well, right. And you you have shared some really heartwarming stories, Michael, over the last several weeks about Christians you've worked with. Uh, what, what's going on lately? Any stories to share? Well, I was in Tanzania, Africa, not too long ago. And, you know, it's everything you read in the... Uh, National Geographic. It's home to Mount Kilimanjaro, the uh, Serengeti. And I remember this trip very well. I left the States with full-blown flu. My wife said, by the end of the fourth day, all these severe symptoms should be gone. That fourth day, we were eight hours in a van from Nairobi, Kenya, going into Tanzania, Africa. And the van I was in suffered a flat tire. Nobody else knew how to change it except me. And they said, now, you've got to be real careful. There are... um, wild baboons on the side of these roads that, uh, that, that can attack. Definitely don't make eye contact. So I said to my uh, colleague, I said, hey, you keep an eye on the uh, baboons and I'll get this tire uh, checked. But we went into a village, Janet, uh, where we were there to award Bibles to new believers. And I met a family, a, a woman and her son, Barack. Barack, like the uh, military leader in the, in the uh, book of Judges. And his mother's name was Mary, and Barack suffers from albinism. If you're an albino, you lack pigmentation in your skin, hair, and eyes. And because witchcraft is so 
prominent in this part of the world. If you're an albino, you're viewed as an evil spirit, something not to be loved and nurtured, but to be destroyed. And it's a big, big deal, Janet, if a witch doctor can sacrifice a body part or even a corpse of somebody who's an albino. Here's what they did. This was a Christian family, by the way. The father had left the home many years ago, could not deal with the son's um, health issue. But they cornered him one day on the way to school, 12-year-old Barack, and with a machete, I know I'm a little bit graphic here, they cut off his left arm, they took <gasps> fingers off the right hand, they took his teeth, they took his tongue, and I like to say this, they could not take his joy. Why? Again, he is a born-again believer. His mother has come to faith recently and endeavored to raise him to know and love Jesus. And here's what's happened in this story, and I won't be any more graphic than that. But about 100 people have come to faith in Christ as they've looked at Mary's situation with her son, Barack, and have seen the, the, the willingness uh, on the part of this woman to forgive those that attacked her son. And wouldn't you know it, that two of those that have come to faith are former witch doctors who at one time sought to harm this boy, Barack, because of his Christian faith and because of his health. <laughs> Janet, who brings about those type of stories? <laughs> Yeah. Only God Only the Lord. in remote parts of the world like Tanzania, Africa. Mm-hmm. And so the prayer today is not for an end of that suffering as severe as it is, but it's for the Word of God. They're very, very remote. And I promised them, I said, look, those Bibles you're praying for, they're coming. They're coming. Right. Well, and because of the generosity of Janet Meffer today, listeners, this is possible. 800-YES-WORD is the number to call. If you'd like to give a Bible today, $5 is all it costs for one Bible. $35, send seven Bibles. And we as already have, we've already said this with Michael, but we have already passed our goal thanks to your generosity. But if you'd like to still give, the need is still great. We really want to get as many Bibles as possible out to these very needy parts of the world. So all you need to do is call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there is a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Doesn't it make you, Michael, appreciate the ease with which we as American Christians can just go buy a Bible? Boy, nothing has made me appreciate that more than this campaign, seeing how many Christians are desperate for a Bible, just one Bible in their own language, and don't have one. It's just, I'm so thankful to the Lord for his blessings in that regard. Yeah, people ask me, Michael, how are you influenced as you travel the world? You see the conditions Christians live in. I say there's not a morning that I don't open my Bible and thank God for having his word in my own language and at a level that I understand. And I, I, Janet, as I, as I travel, I promise these believers, again, we're taking your message to Christians who really care. And I can tell you again with confidence those Bibles are coming. And real quick as we wrap up, think about that multiplier of 12 today. We're currently at 2,500 Bibles. We're going to see that matched, doubled. And I'm horrible at math, but I can tell you what's going to happen as a result of your listeners sheltering in grace and being very, very generous is that thousands right now will be impacted for the cause of Christ. People that are persecuted for I their faith it. simply because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Michael. And Anna, what a joy for us to make this uh, this uh, journey with you. Appreciate it. 800-YES-WORD is the number to call. 800-YES-WORD. Michael Wilbur, thanks for being with us, and thanks for all you do for Bible League. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. 
Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The global COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. Sheltering in orders across the country are spiking the number of unplanned pregnancies and the preborn call centers inundated with girls calling us. Contrary to government mandates to stop elective surgeries, Planned Parenthood remains open, consuming scarce medical supplies, all the while aborting babies. Our clinics are offering free, Christ-centered alternatives to these women in this time of crisis, but our clinics need your help. Now more than ever. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and a direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in this time of need? Your gift of $28 will provide one free ultrasound. $140 will provide five free ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not President Trump is vindicated over his comments this past weekend regarding whether or not leftists will treat mosques the same way they've treated some churches regarding opening up or balking against the lockdown that is required during the pandemic. You know, I have been talking for the last couple of weeks about all the churches that have run into problems, police coming and handing out $500 tickets to Christians having a drive-in service where nobody is mingling with anybody else. And Paul Sperry, who is a writer at the Washington Examiner, a conservative publication largely, had a tweet to that effect, and President Trump retweeted it. And then he was asked this question by a reporter. Listen to cut one. I want to ask you about one of your retweets uh, that you wrote. The one you retweeted from Paul Sperry, let's see if authorities enforce the social distancing orders for Monster and Ramadan like they did churches during Easter. I'm wondering... Yeah, no, I would like to see that. And, uh, you know, I just spoke with uh, leaders uh, uh, and people that love mosques. They love mosques. And I'm all in favor of that. But I would say that there could be a difference, and we'll have to see what will happen, because I've seen a great disparity in this country. I've seen a great disparity. I mean, I've seen a very strong anti-Israel bent in Congress with Democrats. It, it was unthinkable seven or eight or ten years ago, and now uh, they're into a whole different thing between Omar and uh, AOC. I say AOC plus three, add them on. You have... I mean, the things that they say about Israel are so bad, and I, I can't believe it. Now, just a minute. So I would be interested to see that, because they go after Christian churches, but they don't tend to go after mosques. And I don't want them to go after mosques, but I do want to see what their, what their bent is. We know what their bent will be. We know exactly what their bent will be, and I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But I want to finish the rest of what he had to say. Listen to cut two. 
That's just true. I mean, that's just true. And we're talking about leftist politicians, generally speaking. We're not just talking about any old politician. We're talking about leftists. And it's true. And if you look at the squad, they are very anti-Semitic. The left is very anti-Semitic. We've seen this growing over the last couple of years. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Now, what was interesting to me was the reporter getting all indignant. How can you insinuate that mosques wouldn't follow the lockdown? Yeah. In fact, Business Insider had a headline that said Trump claimed without evidence that mosques could get special treatment in the coronavirus lockdown, prompting accusations of, you know what, Islamophobia. The president retweeted this message and it asked whether authorities would enforce the social distancing orders for mosques during Ramadan like they did churches during Easter, which, again, was Paul Sperry's comment. And then they quote from Trump and then they go on and talk about how people were bashing him on Twitter, especially some Muslim leaders and care put out an enraged statement. The Council on American Islamic Relations. Oh, this is so terrible. Oh, he's so awful. And of course, mosques will follow all of these guidelines. Okay, I wondered about that because I just didn't believe that every single mosque and every single Muslim in the United States would go along with the directive any more than every single church or every single pastor would go along with the directive. Because let's keep in mind, most churches have followed the directive. They have gone online. They've done these online worship services. They have not met in person, but many, many of us are feeling the same way as this drags on. We're beginning to ask questions about whether or not we need to encourage a little herd immunity and why in the world you can't have drive-in services. And maybe we need to begin opening up a little bit, which now, for example, the state of Texas will be trying to do in this coming week. And I'm very excited about this since I live in Texas. So we're all kind of on the same page. We want to be uh, you know, cooperative with the government and do what is right, but we're also suspicious at some point because we're looking at the models not working and the predictions not working. And then you have a number of people who were randomly tested, I believe in Massachusetts, and a third of these people were shown to have had COVID and they never had any symptoms at all, which raises the possibility that in fact, many more people in the United States have actually had COVID and survived it and didn't even know they had it. So that would bring the mortality rate way down and would be better news for us. So all of this is going on. So I was digging around a little bit and I thought, I wonder what mosques really will do. I think by and large, you've seen American mosques going along with this, but you've seen a lot of problems overseas in places like Pakistan, where you have mosques saying, no way are we going to go along with the lockdown. So I came across this story in the Philadelphia Tribune. Listen to this. The Islamic community is concerned the COVID-19 pandemic may interrupt Ramadan. Local imams and Muslim community leaders said depending on the masjid, Ramadan services could be canceled, altered, or remain as planned. 
Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought churches got clobbered for saying this sort of stuff. We're looking at April 24th being the first day of Ramadan on this side of the world, said Aliyah Kabir, who's with AZK Communications. What I've seen is that imams and their boards have been meeting daily by phone. They're going through scripture, meaning the Quran, to figure out how to address this pandemic from a religious perspective and adhering to what our health officials are saying is the best thing to do. Kabir added that each masjid is responding to the virus differently, depending on their circumstances. She said, you will see that addressed in various manners from mosque to mosque. Some mosques may be more equipped and the ideal is to go ahead and serve the community. Other mosques have decided they are going to suspend programming, but will be open for prayer times. Others will be open during prayer and have Juma, that's the Friday prayers, but disperse quickly afterwards. Well, wait a minute. Well, that doesn't sound like they're adhering to the lockdown guidelines. Then they interview some of these imams with very long names. So I'm going to shorten them. Imam Idris said, as of now, there are no plans to alter the Ramadan schedule. He said, we don't want to project out that far because this thing is changing almost daily. Now, given this story ran on March 27th, we don't have plans to cancel. We're just going to see. We typically have iftar every night and we have nightly prayers, which are typically about an hour. It's definitely going to be a challenging time. I typically meet with our leadership team and make the decisions that are best for the community. Another imam said... They're going to have a normal Ramadan schedule. The quote here was, there's not going to be changes in the Ramadan schedule. We are going to be doing Ramadan every day, feeding the people all 30 days, making extra prayers, reading the Quran. We're not changing our Ramadan schedule. Not one bit, he said. I'm more worried about being shot or killed than coronavirus. What? Pointing to gun violence is a more pressing local public health issue. <laughs> In addition to the ongoing need for assistance, this Imam Muhammad stressed that the masjid is extremely necessary. It will remain open for the daily prayers and the Friday Juma. We are not closing, he said. We are not going to allow them to tell us when to stop praying. We need to pray now more than ever. Abdul Zahir, this other guy, said that his mosque remains open for the daily prayers and the Friday prayers, although people with weak immune systems and symptoms are encouraged to stay home. He added that they tediously clean the masjid, a standard practice commanded in Islam. So they talked about purification being a foundation of Islam. But okay, I'm reading here that you have imams saying, we don't care about the lockdown. We're going ahead with everything we normally plan to do during Ramadan. We're not changing anything. Now, I, I recall that some of the churches that have taken that that particular tack, and none of them have taken it, I think, that far. We just don't care. We're going to proceed as normal. Uh, they have at least tried to maintain social distancing, even when they had services prior to Easter, and try to have hand sanitizer on hand and those sorts of things. Do you really think any leftist politician in Philadelphia is going to encounter this with mosques and say, all right. Send the cops out, start issuing $500 tickets to everybody, arrest the imams, haul them off. Yeah, that'll happen. Does anybody believe that will happen? But what will they do? What will they do in Philadelphia or anywhere else where you see mosques proceeding as normal? So I'm telling you, this is going to be the next thing that people are going to start talking about. By the way, a couple of news items over the weekend. This was from Politico. In Kansas, a federal judge has blocked the limits on religious gatherings. A federal judge blocked Kansas from limiting attendance at in-person religious worship services or activities to 10 people or fewer to check the spread of the coronavirus, signaling that he believes it's likely the policy violates religious freedom and free speech rights. 
Also, a judge denied Maryville Baptist Church in Kentucky their motion for a restraining order against the governor's ban on mass gatherings. So not such good news there. But in California, from the Contra Costa Herald, drive-in churches are now legal in California, thanks to a lawsuit victory there. So the legal action continues and we'll see where things continue to go with other religious groups. And we'll see if President Trump proves to be right. Thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your tuning in. We'll see you next time. God bless.